do sit down. And um, let me add my welcome to, to Rob's. Um, as Rob said, my name's Martin Fox. I'm an elder at um, Emmanuel Church Brentford, um, where we worship for uh, many years with the Alderson family. Um, it's great to see um, many people that I recognise today. It's great to see many people that I don't recognise um, as well. So um, welcome to our, our service this morning. Um, do turn to the book of Lamentations. If you've got the same version of the Bible as me, it's on page 646. Um, and we're going to consider that uh, and look at the last chapter of Lamentations together um, in a second. But let me, um, let me pray first before we do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us um, through your word. You speak to us in all situations of, of life, whatever we, um, we are going through, um, whatever we are, are facing and are thinking about this week. Um, we thank you that you... Um, you speak into that. Uh, we thank you that you care about us, um, about all the all that is going on within our lives. And so we pray that as we read um, this passage this morning, we pray that you'd help us to understand um, and change our hearts and our minds, um, that we would know you better and serve you more. Um, in Jesus' powerful name, Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look at um, a passage in Lamentations um, in a second. Before we do, let me, let me give you a bit of background to Lamentations, because I'm guessing that if you're anything like me, this is not a book that you have spent a lot of time um, looking at. There's books, aren't there, in the Bible that we're very familiar with, um, or as a church we will spend a lot of time looking at. So probably the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, um, maybe some of Paul's letters, the Psalms, Genesis, those are all books which... Yeah, maybe churches spend, spend more time in, but Lamentations is not typically one of them. Um, there's one, I reckon there's one verse in Lamentations you'll know, um, probably the most famous verse, uh, which says that God's compassions are new every morning, great is his faithfulness. You might have sung that um, at some point in the past, but it's maybe one of only three or four verses in, in the whole book um, that actually offers hope. And if you, if you just kind of think about that verse, it doesn't really tell you what the book is about, which is about how God's people, um, many, many years ago, processed their emotions in a time that they were facing really extreme suffering, um, and as they lived under God's judgment. Um, We're going to read the last chapter um, in a minute, but to kind of set it in scene, this book was written about 600 years before Jesus um, lived on the earth, And, and unlike them, God's people weren't spread out throughout the world. Um, Back in those days, God's people were concentrated in the Middle East, um, around uh, in Israel, and Jerusalem was the the, the, the centre. So, so last week I said um, it was a bit like yeah, we, our church is in Brentford, so Brentford is our centre, and the focal point. If you're a Brentford football club supporter, which I know Rob is, that the focal point of um, being a Brentford football club supporter is the community stadium. That's where people meet week by week, and for the Jews, um, for God's people. In the Old Testament, Jerusalem was their capital and the centre was the temple. Um, that was the place where they went week by week um, or when they wanted to, um, yeah, their special times of year, to really come close to God, they went to the temple. Um, but about 600 years before Jesus came, uh, the Babylonians, um, so another uh, people group at the time, they took over Jerusalem um, and they destroyed the temple. Um, you can read about it in 2 Kings, um, chapters 24 and 25. We're not going to do that now, um, but if you want to afterwards, you can look at it then. And it was a terrible time for God's people. Um, it was a terrible time, both because of just the situation they found themselves in. So many of them homeless, starving, um, mocked by the people around them. 
But actually, it was a terrible time more than that because of what it said about their relationship with God. Um, you see, God had made promises to them. Um, God had said to them, I'm going to be your God. Um, he said to, to God's people that he was going to promise them a land, a king. Um, so what were they to make of that in this situation that they found themselves in now? Um, what were they to, to make of that? Is God really for us, they would think? All those promises he made, it, it, is he really for us? Um, so let's read chapter 5 together, and we'll see how they process um, that situation here. So as I say, it's page 646. Um, and I'll read it now. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary, we are given no rest. We're given the hand, we have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us, there is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because the sword, because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is as hot as an oven. The burning heat of famine, women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands, and no respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gates, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Unless you've utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Well, it's not a cheerful read, is it, when you, um, when you look at that passage. It's not an uplifting um, thing to read. But don't, please don't switch off. I think um, as we meditate on it over the next few minutes, there, there's many truths which we'll find helpful um, and practical, both, both helpful as we think about actually places where there is suffering. We, we pray for Sri Lanka and the persecuted church there just now, but also helpful for us um, as we think maybe on difficult times um, that are going on in our lives, but more than that as we think on what Jesus has done for us. There's, there's two questions really that we're going to ask um, as we look at this passage. The first one is this, it is what does it tell us about God? Um, what does it tell us about God that that he allowed this suffering to happen to these people here. What does that reveal about his, his character? What does it tell us to that matter about Jesus, God's son? But secondly, I, I do want to think about what this teaches us about how we process grief and suffering today. Um, there's a verse which often Christians quote. Um, it says that God works all things for the good of those 
who love him. Uh, but what do we do when it doesn't feel like that? Um, what do we do when our worlds are, are falling apart, when it seems like things are, are not for our good, when actually it seems like things are pretty bad? Um, so think of, think of Christians maybe living in Ukraine, um, whose lives have been turned upside down. Think maybe closer to home um, of, of people's people who, who, whose situations just seem to go against them. Maybe that's you this morning. But maybe, maybe your relationships with people who you are closest with um, actually are a source of, of hurt to you. Maybe it's, it's health concerns. Maybe it's the disruptive impact that COVID has had. Um, maybe things in our lives or, or, or the lives of others that we've prayed about for many, many years but that persist. How do we process those situations? How do we pray to God in those situations? Um, is it appropriate to pray, actually, as these people in this passage pray? Um, and we'll see that's not, that's not actually a straightforward answer, question to answer, but I think as we reflect on that, as we think about it, um, it will help us to face either situations we're in or face those situations when they come in the future. So let's keep those two questions in mind. What's God like? Um, but also, what does it tell us uh, about how we process suffering today? Um, and the first thing, as we think about what God's like, I, I want us to dwell on that God's judgment, um, God's judgment is terrible. Um, I think we're supposed to see that, and we're supposed to feel that here. You see, we, we miss the point of lamentations if we think it is just about suffering in a general sense. Um, throughout the book, it's clear that God's people are suffering um, not because God is, is kind of absent or has forgotten. God's people are suffering here because God is present. Um, it's God's reaction here to his people's ongoing, um, persistent rejection of him over many, many years. Um, God is slow to anger, but he is righteous. He does get angry. Um, and you get glimpses of that in this passage, that this is, is God's reaction for sin. Um, so look at verse 7. It says, our fathers sin, um, and are no more. We bear their iniquities. Um, or verse 16, that the crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Um, maybe it's most explicit. I don't, don't need to turn back there, but the beginning of chapter 2, um, just a couple of pages earlier, says, um, says, the Lord, in his anger, has set the daughter of Zion, that's God's people, under a cloud. So this is something that, that God is doing. Um, and it's right, and it's good that God gets angry. Um, it, it's right that he judges. We want leaders like that, don't we? We want leaders who call out injustice, um, who call out wrongdoing, who call out evil. Um, we know that that's, that's what we need. Um, but it's also a terrifying thing, isn't it? It's a terrifying thing, especially if there, if there is the possibility, as for these people, that actually it's not judgment on people who are bad out there, but that the problem is, is in here. And the book of Lamentations it helps us to understand what being under God's judgment is, is like, both kind of situationally, but also, also emotionally, how it feels. Um, so just look at the passage that we read. Um, I just want us to, to read some of these words again. They pour out um, their hearts to God. In verse 1, they say, look, see our disgrace. Um, it's a picture of poverty. So verse 2, our, our inheritance. Um, there were people who were well off at one point in the past, but now... It's been turned over to strangers, um, our homes to foreigners. Um, verse 4 says, we must pay for the water we drink, the wood we get must be, must be bought. So these, these people who've occupied the land are charging them extortionate rates just for the kind of basics of, 
of living, for, for food, for warmth, for water. Um, they'd empathise with our, our rising cost of living that we're feeling at the moment. It's a picture of persecution. So you can see in verse 5, our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We're given no rest. Famine, verse 6, they have resorted to to asking Egypt and Assyria, these people who are their enemies, who are going to charge them those extortionate rates um, for food. It's the only place they can get it. It's a picture of slavery um, in verse 8. Slaves rule over us. And if that's the situation they find themselves in, verses 14 to 18 show us how they feel. Um, so let me, I'm just going to read those verses, 14 to 18, um, again. It says, The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, Mount Zion is, is Jerusalem. Um, which lies desolate. Jackals prowl over it. So joy has ceased. Music has stopped. Mourning is constant. Their hearts are sick. Um, and it's, it's poignant here that knowing God, knowing God provides them as much insecurity um, as it does hope. And that's really clear in the last two pairs of verses. Um, verse 19, sounds positive, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations but why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? They're, they're grappling with this. And then verse 20, 21, again, seems positive. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as they were before, um, when everything was good. Verse 22, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. The end. The book concludes that. It it stops without a resolution on that kind of note of insecurity that marks the prayers of these people. Um, They look to the God who saved them in the past, but they don't know under his judgment whether he will save them here. I don't know. um, I don't know if you've ever seen people climbing. Maybe some of you have have done climbing yourself before. Um, I've done little bits, not like what I'm about to describe to you, but... um, if you know, when people free climb, which is when they go to a, kind of, you know, a fresh rock face and they decide to climb up it, the way you keep yourself safe um, is as you climb up, you, you bang little bits into the cliff. Um, they're called cams, um, and they make you secure. So every few metres you go, you, you bang this thing into the cliff, go up another few metres. If, if you fall, you only fall as far as that cam that you put in, and then the rope holds you. That's the way you can climb up a really tall cliff um, and still be relatively safe. Um, I was watching a programme a few years ago called Steve Bakshaw's Extreme Challenge, where um, Steve Bakshaw, a TV presenter, and a group of climbers tried to climb up this cliff um, in Venezuela. It was about, I think, 1,000 metres um, tall. And one of the climbers was, was talking about a failed attempt um, that he'd had to, to climb up. Um, where he'd gone up, and he'd been banging in these, these, these cams, um, but the face of the cliff that he was banging into um, turned out to be unstable, and he fell, and one by one, cam popped, popped out of the cliff. These things that were supposed to hold him disappeared and he fell about 50 metres in one go um, before it caught him. All of his security measures, um, one by one, disappeared. And I think that's what we see here. That's what we see here, what it's like to be under God's judgment when God isn't there. Um, money, all that God provided, wasn't enough. Food, gone. Leaders are helpless. Um, and even God, the one that had saved them in, in the past, um, the one who, who had been their security, 
he is he is against them. Um, he is judging them. So they're completely helpless. They are insecure in the face of God's judgment. Um, it's a horrible thought, isn't it? It's a horrible thought to be um, in that place of insecurity. God's, God's judgment is terrible. Um, it's fair. It's, it's right. Um, but it's terrifying. It's the most insecure place that we could be. I, I, I title this sermon, um, Is God for Us? Um, which I guess really is a paraphrase of that verse 22. Um, but I want us to answer that question today. I want us to answer the question which is posed in verse 22. Does God remain exceedingly angry with us? Is that what we think when we see bad things happening to Christians today? Um, and to do that, we need to think about this book theologically. And all I mean by that is we need to put it in its place of what God tells us across the whole Bible. We need to see it within the story of what God reveals about himself to us. Um, now, as an aside, before we get there, devout Jews actually read through this book every year. So they would, they would know it a lot better than we do. It's tied in with a festival they have once a year where they remember and, and, um, and commemorate a lot of the bad things that have happened to Jews over the years. So including this event, um, the destruction of the temple, also including things like the Holocaust. And they have a day of fasting and mourning and they read through this book. Um, but when they finish, they go back and they repeat verse 21. They don't want to finish on verse 22 because it's such a, a hopeless verse, isn't it? But they, they go back to verse 21 because they want that ray of hope. Um, but actually, as Christians, we don't need to, we don't need to do that. Um, we don't need to go back to some kind of that vague hope and, and forget that verse 22 is there. Because we can look forward. We look forward from this passage to the cross. We look forward to what Jesus has done. And so I want us to look at Lamentations, to look at what's happening here through the lens of the cross and suggest that actually the main thing that Lamentations teaches us as Christians is what Jesus went through on the cross, what he went through on our behalf. Um, for those who, of us who, who trust Jesus, we can have the reassurance that what we read here, this terrible judgment, is something that Jesus has dealt with. And there's many echoes in this passage of, and, and in Lamentations as a whole of what Jesus faced on the cross. So, so think about Jesus. He went to the cross. He had no physical security. He was beaten, persecuted, pursued, given no rest, hanging on the cross, naked, thirsty. All of those are things that we see within Lamentations. He felt the weight of our sin. Um, so that verse that we read um, our fathers, so verse 7, our fathers have sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Um, that language is language, language that we use of Jesus, isn't it? We say he bore our iniquities on the cross. He bore our sin, the things that we did, we've done wrong, and we deserve to be punished for. He has dealt with that. Maybe most poignantly, Jesus, Son of God, felt the insecurity that we just spoke about. Um, Verses that, that we saw in verses 20 to 21 to 24. So 20, um, uh, verse 20, doesn't it? It says, why do you forsake us for so many days? And, and that echoes, doesn't it, what Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the book of Lamentations, it helps us to understand what was happening at the cross, God's judgment, 
his terrible judgment, instead of being poured out on us, was being poured out on Jesus, um, on his son, that we might be forgiven. At the cross, God's, God's wrath, his righteous, that right anger, the right justice he has, meets his mercy, um, and both can, can be held together. He can both say to us, say at the cross, he can say, I've rightly punished your wrongdoing, but also I've, I've mercifully forgiven and accepted you. So Lamentations helps us to understand how Jesus felt when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he cried out. Um, it helps us to understand what he was going through there, um, that he was going to that place of judgment. Um, and let me just clarify, because it's easy when we, when we talk like this, it's easy to kind of slip into the language of a, a, a cruel father um, and a, a loving son. And, and that's not what I'm saying here at all. The cross shows us every, much as bit, uh, every bit as much the love of the father um, as it does the love of the son. Um, as a father myself, um, I would know the, the pain I would feel if, if anything was to happen to Samuel. Um, but the love of God, the father and the son, was such that they, they willingly put themselves through the agony that we read about in Lamentations, that the judgment that we deserve could be taken by him. And he's done that, finally. Um, it's a once and for all thing. So to help us connect the dots on that, let, let's think about the language of the temple. Um, so as we said earlier, Jerusalem was, was like the home of God's people and the temple was the focal point. Um, the destroyed temple was the sign that God's presence was missing from them. They had nowhere to go um, where they could, could, could dwell with God. Um, and in the book of John, Jesus famously predicts his death. He says, destroy this temple and I will build it up in three days. Um, and the people he's talking to, they think he's talking about the physical temple that's there um, and they, they don't understand that. But John clarifies saying that actually he was talking about the temple of his body. Um, and that makes sense when you think about it, doesn't it? Because what happened when people came to Jesus' physical body, when Jesus was here on earth? Well, they were healed of diseases. Um, demons fled. Um, we read about times when people just touched his cloak um, and they were healed. It's all the kind of things that you would expect to happen if you were with God, if he was right there. And so at the crucifixion, when Jesus' body was destroyed on the cross, when he hung there, it was, it was a sign of God's judgment um, that the temple of Jesus' body uh, was being destroyed. But as Jesus predicted, destroy this temple and three days later, I will rebuild it. Jesus physically rose from the dead. The temple of his body came back to life. And that is the defining point of, of Christianity. It shows us the, the finality um, and the victory of the cross because the risen Jesus now is alive with God forever. Um, you see, the problem with a, with a physical building, um, a physical place where you go to meet God, um, is that buildings are temporary. Um, so after this event, um, they did rebuild the temple. Um, there was a temple that existed when Jesus was around, which is the one that he was, he was pointing to. Um, but even that building, 40 years after Jesus died, again, Jerusalem was the Romans, um, overtook it and tore down the temple. Um, so buildings, buildings can be knocked down, but Jesus is with God forever. Um, that's the joy of having a resurrected king, a resurrected saviour. 
And so all of that is to say that even in the worst of times, as Christians, we can know that God has not utterly rejected us. Um, if we trust Jesus, we, we can know that the suffering that we face, which may be very painful and very hard, is not the judgment of God on us, because that judgment has been taken once and for all by Jesus. The writer of, the Lam- of Lamentations looked at the destroyed temple and asked if God remained exceedingly angry with them. But we look at the risen Jesus, and we know that that anger has been dealt with. Jesus has taken the judgment that we deserve um, on our behalf. And so with that in mind, um, finally and more briefly, I want us to think on our own suffering. And I want us to to have that assurance that we can bring our suffering to God, um, but we can do that with hope. Um, I said we'd think about that question, how should we pray when we experience suffering today? People in Ukraine, people in our body this morning, Um, that are suffering, do we pray Lamentations 5? And in one sense, the answer to that is no. Um, The insecurity that these people feel um, is not one that we need to ever feel. To go back to that that rock climbing analogy, we have a a rock-solid cam that is stuck, um, the risen and ascended Jesus. Nothing can touch him. The historical fact of the resurrection, it is is the most secure thing um, that we can have in our life. Um, God, Father, Son, and Spirit will, will finally judge the world, but when he does, we're trusting Jesus. We can have that assurance that he has taken our judgment already. So we don't need to feel this insecurity. You may be going through some really tough situations at the moment, but if you, if, if you trust Jesus, you can know for certain that those situations are not God's judgment on you. But while that is the case, I think we do still learn something about prayer from these verses, about how we should pray, which is that we absolutely, we should pour our hearts out to God in prayer, pour out our emotion to him. If that's the case for these people here when they were under the judgment of God, um, how much more should it be the case for us when even knowing the security of God and knowing God's love for us in Jesus, that we still face suffering? How much more should we pour out our hearts to him? Um, after all, Jesus knows suffering more closely than we could ever realise. We should bring our, our hardest situations, our, our darkest emotions, to him in prayer, as these people do. Um, but we can do that with the certain hope that is missing from the end of Lamentations, the hope that, that requires the cross. God doesn't remain exceedingly angry with us if we trust him his anger was poured on Jesus finally and so why we, we may not understand the suffering that we go through and, and often it's in the midst of that it's, it's not helpful to try and rationalize it or to try and think about um, you know, about where it might go it's, it's hard to suffer we won't understand it necessarily it can be very painful but it's not God's judgment on us we have a certain hope Um, So to take the words of our final song, which we'll sing in a second, even in our darkest moments, um, we can know what it says in the final verse, that no power of hell, no scheme of man, can ever pluck me from his hand. So do we lament 
Um, yeah, I think we, we do. We find ourselves in tough situations, and we should. Um, but can we know the security of God um, in the midst of our lamenting? Yes, we absolutely can. Um, and can we meet like this on a Sunday, week by week, rejoicing in the security of God, even when our lives may be falling around, um, uh, falling apart around us? Yes, we absolutely can. Uh, because we're drawing near to God um, to worship in the name of Jesus. Um, who is our, our risen temple through whom we can know God eternally. So that's what we're going to sing about now. Um, we're going to sing the words of our, our final song, um, In Christ Alone. So I'll, um, let me pray quickly and then um, we'll stand and we'll sing that together.